being flexible today with us. By the way, uh, that is one of our key components of Royal Family Kids Camp is blessed are the flexible, for they will have a great week of camp. And so you might get called out of the audience to join people on stage because we're one person short, or you might be asked to serve in the kitchen or in some other way that is yet to be known to you. And so that is a part of Royal Family Kids Camp. Um, this is by far one of my favorite Sundays. Um, the days leading up to it are probably some of the worst days of my life. Um, and I told someone yesterday, you know, I just need to get there. Once we get on the campground, it's like a switch goes on. Um, and everything that's at home just gets left at home. And you just got to focus on what's in front of you. And so um, those of you that are serving, you are heroes. And uh, I thank you for coming along on this crazy journey with us that started about five years ago. Um, thank you to Christy and Taryn. Um, nobody, probably other than, I mean, not even me and Holly know the sacrifices that you two make to make this happen. Um, and to do it from about 90 miles away is uh, incredible. And so thank you, ladies, for everything you have done to make this week happen. And uh, we are excited about what's going to take place. But to all of you who serve, to all of you who have given, to all of you who prayed or will pray this week, we are doing camp together. So if you are not on the grounds with us, you are still in this with us. So as a member of Restoration Church, especially, um, you are, are part of that. And so today I want to talk to all of us, whether you're online, whether you're in the room, whether you're going to camp or not going to camp. And uh, every year, I try to bring the message I'm going to share today into the series that we're in. And so we have been in a series here in our church looking at some of the sayings of Jesus, the difficult tension that exists in the Old Testament, New Testament, some of the harder to understand passages and what's really going on in, um, in Jesus's words and in his teachings. And today I'm going to tie it into that, that series. And I have this dream. And it started about five years ago. It probably started way before that. But when we started Royal Family Kids Camp, I, the Lord birthed in my heart this desire to bring camp home with us because of the difference it made in my life. I mean, I saw myself. I, by the way, am not a flexible person. It is not in my personality. When things do not go as planned, my life does not, my, my brain does not handle that well. And yet somehow... During the week of camp, I found myself being able to do things that I wouldn't normally do. And I found myself understanding and being compassionate towards people um, that maybe are a different personality. I mean, staff, different personality type than me. And normally in real life, we would do this. And somehow that gets set aside and we serve these kids because of the compassion that we have for them. And the Lord, is I just believe he's put in my heart that that should come home with us. And even if you don't go to camp, that should be a part of our lives. Because the, the values that we're trying to instill in these campers and in, in our hearts through that week are supposed to be a part of our lives. I had the chance to speak at graduation at James Valley Christian School just a few years ago. And my three main points in that speech were treat people worldly, make moments matter, and keep moving forward. And those are the three core values of Royal Family Kids Camp. And those should not just be a part of our, our week at camp. Those should be a part of our lives every single day. If I go to camp and I serve well and I minister to these, these children that I know need it, and then I come home and I treat my spouse like uh, not royally, what, does it, what good is it? What good is it if, if my neighbor who's bugging me doesn't get treated with the same royalty? And here's one. What if the person that I think is an abuser doesn't get treated with the same compassion that I give to the abused? That's a hard one. And when I say that, that does not mean there should not be consequences for our crimes. That does not mean we should ever be silent about abuse. It is never okay under any circumstances, and it is never your fault. And so if you see abuse happening, you should report. Well, am I a mandatory reporter? Who cares? Do something. Step in on behalf of someone. But guard your heart, lest you become 
like the very one you're trying to stop. Those are the words of Jesus that we're going to see in Luke chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. One of the things that I will remind our staff throughout the week at camp is we're playing a long game with campers, with camp. I mean, sometimes as Christians, we expect insta, especially as Americans. You know, we get saved and everyone's everything, all my problems are going to instantly go away. All of my relationship issues are going <laughs> to instantly go away. I'm just going to be made perfect. And in a way, we are in Christ made perfect. But in our day-to-day lives, we're far from it. And we walk out that salvation day by day, humbling ourselves, admitting our mistakes and our failures. And we don't expect one camp is going to change a life in just one experience. We don't, I don't believe as a pastor that one sermon I preach is going to change your life forever. Um, it may be a part of the influence that changes your life, but change doesn't happen always in an instant. It happens over time. And even... When there's an encounter with God, I mean, I've met people that are alcoholics that have an encounter with God and never touch it again. But I promise you, there were things leading up to that instant moment. So that instant moment isn't the only thing that changed their lives. There was somebody praying. There were things happening in their life. God was at work when we didn't see it, like we talked about a few weeks ago with Elisha. And so there's always more to the story than what we see. And today, I want to ask the question, we've been asking questions every week, and if you want to listen to the last parts of these series, you can go back on our website, restorationchurchfamily.com, or our Facebook page, you can find it there. But today's question is, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? I don't know if I'm allowed to sing that online, I don't think we had the rights to it, but I sang it, so we do have the rights, I just can't play it. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 is what we're going to look at, but um, I want to put this screen up from last week. These are the five groups of people that existed while Jesus was on earth. You know, we don't always understand the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, um, but there's a whole lot going on in that corner of the world in that time period. And these are the five groups that make up the Hebrew people, the Jews at that time, and The Essenes are these people that live out in the desert, totally separated, totally radical. The Zealots are, Jesus said Zealots, you know, we cut people's ear off, we just, we kill people that disagree with us, we're, you know, kill the Romans, kill the unfaithful Jews. Ah. Um, The Herodians were the compromisers, they were enjoying the benefits of the Greek culture and lifestyle, Roman culture and lifestyle. The Sadducees were the priesthood, and last week we looked at the, 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 um, Um, compromise, the corruption that existed in the Sadducean priesthood, and then the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the teachers that were out among the common people, out in the Galilee, out in the the hicks, if you will. Um, They were not in Jerusalem. They were not the upper class, but they had oral traditions of the law too. And I, I remind us of these because many of the interpretations that Jesus has of Old Testament scripture line up with the Pharisees. And I know it seems weird because we often think that Jesus and the Pharisees were like this, and they really weren't. Because if you look at the words of Jesus and you understand the teachings of the Pharisees, Jesus didn't have a problem with their teaching of the law. It was the oral traditions that they added to the law, and it was the way they treated people and put heavy demands on people but weren't merciful or kind to help people carry them. And so he told them over and over, uh, I, I want mercy, not sacrifice. I uh, he told the people, do what the Pharisees teach you, because they, are, they sit in Moses' seat of authority. But do not do what they do, because they do not practice what they preach. So it's imp- important for us to put this into context, because we can go to church every Sunday and have right doctrine, and not be living it out in our lives. We as Americans pride ourselves on intelligence. We pride ourselves on knowledge. We know stuff. But knowing stuff doesn't guarantee you do stuff. And Jesus always emphasizes orthopraxy over orthodoxy. He doesn't care if you have your doctrine right, if you're not putting it into practice. And so that's why he challenges the Pharisees on so many different occasions. And so within each of these groups, there are different splinters of other thoughts. And among the Pharisees, there are two main thoughts. If you've read anything about Jewish history, if you've listened to me teach at all, you've heard these names before. 
but the Rabbi Shammai would be one of those thoughts. And his whole process for interpreting the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, is love God and keep the Sabbath. Those are the two most important commands. Love God, keep the Sabbath. And what that means is you strictly obey God's law. Strictly obey God's law. Love God, strictly obey His law. That's Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hillel would, would have taught this. The two greatest commandments are love God and love your neighbor. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, Be, Jesus wasn't the first one to do this. Okay, Jesus agrees with the teachings of Hillel. He sides more with him. Now, please understand, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> so he doesn't just side with one group. I know that we all think whatever our issue in the world today, we think Jesus is on our side. Um, for some things, yeah, and others, no. He, he is never on each of our sides for issues at all because none of us is perfect. Only he is perfect. And so every single one of us in this room have a wrong view somewhere that Jesus can't side with. The problem is we don't really know where those views are. But we're learning, we're growing, we're humble, we're opening ourselves to him. And he is so patient and so kind. Someone this week was telling me about what God's doing in their heart about loving others. And they're just like, better late than never. And I'm like, you know, that's what we think. But Jesus came at just the right time. And whatever God is doing in your life, don't beat yourself up that you didn't realize it sooner. Just know God has been bringing you on a journey all the time. Okay, you just think that you came to this revelation over here, and Jesus is like, no, I started it over there. It just took me seven years, and I, I knew it would take seven years, and I was okay with seven years. And I just took you through that journey, and now here you are, and you're like, wow, this is so mind-blowing. So anyway, Luke 20, 10, Luke 10, verse 25, here we go. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. The word lawyer, different for us, would just mean expert in the law. So the same way that a lawyer would defend you or help you interpret the law in a certain situation, that's what a teacher of the law would do. This guy's an expert. And he stands up to test Jesus. That's super important because if you're with a rabbi, which Jesus is a rabbi and he's teaching, and you are a student of that rabbi, you would stand to be questioned and to have your rabbi test you. But this guy's not standing as a student. He's standing to test Jesus. He asks the question. But Jesus, in his unbelievable brilliance, turns the tide. He doesn't respond to the question. He questions. Sometimes we think the way to share the gospel is, that, is by declaring facts. And sometimes that's true. But Jesus most often used questions. And I think as Americans, we'd be better off learning to ask questions that lead people to truth instead of just trying to jam it down their throats. Just the way Jesus did it, but you pick. So Jesus spins it. How do you read it? And so <laughs> it's interesting because the, the teacher of the law answers and then he's kind of stuck there. Um, because Jesus is like, eh, there you go, you're right. Now, you've got to understand, when the teacher, uh, or when the lawyer asks, how do you inherit eternal life? We look at that and think, how do I get to heaven when I die? That's not what they're thinking. Okay, the, the Hebrews, would they believe in an afterlife. They believe that when you die, you're with the Lord. They believe that God is coming back to set up a kingdom, and there's a resurrection, and all of that stuff. But for them, entering the kingdom or entering life is more like John 10.10. 10. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full, didn't mean when you die, you could have life. He means now you could have life. You could enter the kingdom. And so you could walk in that fullness. And so the lawyer apparently sides with Jesus' interpretation on this, or the Hillel side of it. And <clears throat> maybe he's only doing that because he knows that's what Jesus would teach. Because you would become familiar with a rabbi. In Matthew chapter 22, there's a similar version of this story, but it's not the same. I think they're two different events. I don't think they're the same event, but two, two different perspectives. 
because I believe Jesus would have been questioned by lots of different people. It's a very Jewish way to live. So in Matthew 22, someone comes and asks him, what's the weightiest matter of the law? Because what you have sometimes are there's two laws, and they seem contradictory. So one of the examples from Jewish history would be Rahab the spy, or Rahab the prostitute. When the spies come into the promised land, Rahab either has to choose to tell a lie and say the spies aren't here, or turn over the spies to the, the authorities. Both of them are laws. But yet there's also a law that says to protect the foreigner who is among you. And so apparently Rahab chose that the weightier matter was to protect the spies and tell a lie. I mean, in Hitler's day, many people hid Jews and would have done the same thing. And the rabbis would debate what are the weightier matters of the law. Now, we know Rahab chose correctly because she's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab, the, the prostitute in the hall of faith. God love it. And what happens here is the interpretation that a rabbi has like that would be his yoke. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, we're like, wow, that, that's just a weird analogy. But the, the people around him understand my perspective on the scripture is easy and it's light. And we've already talked about how that's far from true, <laughs> even though we, the way we interpret it is far from true. But when you choose the weightier matters of the law correctly, you fulfill the law. And when you choose wrong, you abolish the law. Get it? So when Jesus comes to fulfill the law, not abolish the law, he's saying, I've come to show you how to put it into practice, to bring it to fulfillment, to judge the weightier matters. And so the lawyer sides with Hillel, and he takes this view of the scripture. Love God, love your neighbor. I want to share, I'm going to get teachy for just a second. You're like, you haven't already? Um, yeah. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, there's this verse that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this is actually a Hebrew phrase, you shall love. So the translation I chose didn't say that, but you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Hebrews knew their Bible better than we do. And so they didn't just <coughs> read Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 and be like, okay, i got to put that into practice. They would also hold the Bible out here and look at all of it. So the Old Testament scriptures, they would find places that were similar. So the phrase, you shall love, you shall love, we find it a second place in the Hebrew scripture. Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. And so that's what they have done. They've taken these two phrases that are similar and they've connected them. Okay, God used the similar phrase. He must want these connected. So the weightiest matters of the law for these that are trying to interpret it are love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus <coughs> um, enters into this world where uh, not everybody disagrees or agrees and everyone strongly debates the meaning of Scripture and strongly debates every issue in the world. So I want you really hard to imagine living in a time like that. Imagine living in a world where everyone debates everything, okay? Where everyone has the right point of view about everything. Scripture, politics, everything, okay? Because that's what Jesus was in, okay? Not unlike our world today at all. That was sarcasm. You didn't laugh. I feel bad. Okay. So our world today is just like the world of Jesus. And Jesus spins the question. The, the expert in the law answers. Jesus says, good job. So what comes next? What a, it's a, this is a, wow. I, I mean, I love this. Verse 29. Wanting to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? You got to understand, this is a debate among the Jews of the day. Okay, what are the greatest matters of the law? But then also, who is my neighbor? Because we just read Leviticus 19, 18, and it clearly said, among your people. So my neighbor is the people among us, the fellow Jews, fellow believers, if you will. That's what the law means. And this is a doozy of a question. <clears throat> because how in the world is Jesus going to answer this? Because if, if he agrees with that interpretation, it's going to go against everything that he wants to proclaim. 
that salvation is also for the Gentiles. What is he going to do? Well, he's going to tell a story because that's what rabbis do. And rabbis generally use teaching templates, and they like to work in threes. This is a very common Jewish practice that Jesus is using. And a Pharisee rabbi, when they are teaching, would always use three people to illustrate a point. And they would always use, first, a priest. Because the priest, according to the Pharisee, were a part of the corrupt political priesthood, the Sadducees, that we talked about. So the priest would always do it wrong. Because the priest is corrupt. Wrong. The second person in every parable would be a Levite. And the Levite would also work in the temple with the priesthood, serving there with them. But the Levite would want to do the right thing, but they're stuck in a broken system. And so they still end up doing the wrong thing. But thankfully, along will come a Pharisee. And the Pharisees would have taught, here's the right way to do it. Now, some scholars will actually say that when Jesus was teaching, he's using that method, but the people listening would have expected the priest, would have expected the Levite, and then there's a third group that served in the temple, the Jewish common man. And that man would have been uh, the third guy in the story. Either way, the crowd is stunned when the third person is the Samaritan. Jesus has just blown everyone's mind, and not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> if you like all the teachings of Jesus, you don't understand all the teachings of Jesus. I will just tell you, because there is not a soul alive on this planet that likes the teachings of Jesus and so totally puts them into practice correctly. None of us. So he's, in, he's playing a long game with us, and we're going to get there. So let's pick it up. Verse 30, here he goes. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, because you always go up to Jerusalem, because it's, you know, the highest point, because it's the temple. Up from, or going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity or compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put them on his own animal, brought them to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which two denarii would be like two days' wages. It's a significant amount of money, okay? Gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Now, this is a very common parable in our world. In fact, the term Good Samaritan is even a part of our language. You, if you help someone and uh, you don't have medical expertise, expertise but you try to in, intervene and help, um, there are Good Samaritan laws that protect you from being sued if you do something that you, you know, didn't know that you should do. And so the Good Samaritan laws are, are out there. And so Jesus tells this story. Here's a man who is beaten and he's stripped. So he has no clothes. He's half dead. And the reason that's important to us is because he's unidentifiable. Because in this region, everyone would look similar. But you would identify them by their clothing, Jew, Gentile, Pharisee, Sadducee, Essene. I mean, you would know who someone is by their clothes. There's no clothes. Unidentifiable. They're not going to speak <laughs> because he's half dead. So there's no way to know who's in the ditch. The priest moves to the other side of the road. And I hate that we do this American thing where we're just like, well, those are the religious people. They move to the other side of the road. Um, and I'm not a religious people. But this is far more complex than that. Because if this priest goes over and touches a corpse, 
according to the law, he now has finished his term. He's going back home to Jericho. He will have to turn around because he's unclean. Go back to Jerusalem, offer the sacrifices, do all of the things that need to be done for his ritual purity. So he hasn't been with his family for a while. He's probably bringing food and provisions according to the law because he would get some of the sacrificial meat to his family if he touches a corpse. Who will provide for his family? Who will take care of his, their needs? He will not be able to go back in the temple. He will not be able to do his duties. He will not be able to get meat and food and, and supply. This is a costly thing. This is not just because he doesn't care. It's because the cost is too great. And most of us in this room, or watching online, would align ourselves immediately with the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and here's the definition. This is illusory superiority. That's the term for what we do. Illusory superiority. That means we judge ourselves differently than we judge other people. So when we read a story, we're always the hero. No matter who we are, we're the hero. When we, come, when we judge our charitable behavior, our work performance, our IQ, our holiness, we are better than those around us, generally, in our minds. We tend to judge other people by their external traits and their circumstances, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, our efforts, and our desire. And so we place ourselves in the best place. But if you really want to look at this from a 30,000-foot view, Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there's homeless people. Sometimes there's people even at our own Walmart that are holding up a sign. You know what we do? We, we don't want to make eye contact. Because homelessness is a complex issue. And if I give them money, it will probably just lead to them buying alcohol and it really won't help them at all. And so we make it an issue. We make it so complex and we don't personalize, Jesus is personalizing it today. He's drawing us in. We all have these issues, whether the issue is abuse, whether the issue is race, whether the issue is sexuality, whether the issue is veterans affairs, whether the issue is politics, wh whatever the issues we have in our lives. We tend to like to look at them from the 30,000 foot view because if we personalize it, it gets messy and hard. It does. And Jesus is forcing us to get personal with it. And we try, like the pr priest, to serve conveniently. We give in the temple. You know, we, we give our tithes, which cares for the poor and the needy. And so some, something that I've given in the temple will take care of the guy in the ditch. I, it's crazy for you to think that I should stop for someone I don't even know. I don't even know what nationality they are and, and help them. That would be foolish. At two days' wages? Are you out of your mind? $200 to go to a camp? To, to work my tail off? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? I, I could never do that. I could never get the time off work. I could never, I could never. Seeking to justify ourselves, we always find a reason. Why to pass by on the other side? Whether it's from a homeless person, whether it's from an abused and neglected person, or whether it's from our spouse or our parent or a sibling or someone who has done something to wrong us. Every single one of us sitting in this room has someone in our lives that's sitting in a ditch that we have justified why we should pass by. And I think if we would stop and listen, Jesus would say, no. And we, we serve, we go to Royal Family Kids Camp because we know that we shouldn't be doing it, but if I just serve enough, I quiet that voice. And you know what? That voice never goes away, no matter how hard you serve. And this gets really messy, I know. I do know. So maybe the question isn't, who am I serving, but who am I refusing? The Levite comes along, and he comes to the place. That's important in the Hebrew, in the Greek phrase, because he comes close enough to get a better view than the, the priest did. Again, the Levite wants to do the right thing, but he's stuck in the system. He knows that the priest has already passed by, 
The priest is ahead of him. He knows it. And he knows that if he stops, he's going against the system, the priesthood. It's also costly to him because he's going to have to do all the same things the priest did. And so he stops. And some of us, we're stuck in a system. And we, we dare not speak out. We dare not change. We dare not try because it's costly. It'll cost us friends. It'll cost us people misunderstanding us. It'll cost. So we pass by on the other side. And then everyone knows what's coming next. The right response, the Pharisee, the Jewish layman. And along comes a Samaritan. I wish I could have been there. Because <gasps> there literally would have been audible gasps or utter silence that you could hear. Jesus has just gone too far. Okay, so Shammai, we remember, love God, keep the Sabbath. Well, Shammai, should I love my fellow Jew? Yes, the law says love your fellow Jew, Leviticus 19.18. Should I love the Roman? No, because the law says love your neighbor who is your countryman. Well, should I love the, the Samaritan? Never. That's Shammai's take. Hillel, a little better. Hillel would say, should I love the Jew? Yes, the law commands it. Should I love the Roman? Yes, for the law commands it. Leviticus 19.34. Remember 19.18? Love your fellow countrymen? Look down a couple of verses. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Ooh. Hillel, should I love the Roman? Yes. Hillel, should I love the Samaritan? No. You cannot love the Samaritan. The Samaritan is a half-breed. The Samaritan is part Jew, but he is mixed with other races. He has done things that are unholy to the Lord. So you cannot love him because he is a Samaritan. They actually take the commands of God and they mix them with other religions. So no. So Jesus actually differs and he doesn't even make the, the neighbor the Samaritan that you're supposed to love. He makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. I love it. Okay, so who is you, who's in your ditch? Spouse, former spouse, sibling, parent, someone that has wronged you in some way. And I know there's all these reasons to justify why mistreating that person, former pastor, person that hurt you at church. I mean, I love church people. We go to church every week and we sing about the mercy of God, but we won't talk to that person over there because of what they did 15 years ago. And Jesus comes into that scene, and he blows it up. He's like, you know that person that you won't talk to? They're the hero of my story. Wow, that's awesome. Pastor Tom, thank you for preaching this sermon. We love it. Can I just tell you, I don't love it. It's so hard. And here's the thing. I wondered, why is it so easy to do this stuff at camp? And if I can do it at camp, I should be able to do it in my real life. If I can be flexible at camp, I should be able to do it here. And God knows I had to do it this morning. <laughs> I mean, so many things went wrong already today. And I'm just like, well, we're just going to be flexible because I'm wearing the red shirt. <laughs> Maybe I should wear a red shirt every week. This Hebrew phrase is different than we translate it, I believe. We translate it, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Literally. And if you've ever translated from one language to another, it's super hard to translate some idioms. So when we translate raining cats and dogs, you can't really literally translate that into another language. It doesn't make sense. So the same thing is true of this. But what it should read is, love your neighbor who is like yourself. Love your neighbor who is like yourself. And what is being taught in that phrase is, is, my, is the person I'm passing by on the other side, are they guilty? Yes. Is their guilt worse than my guilt? No. No. 
Now, that doesn't justify their behavior. It doesn't remove the consequence for their behavior, but it should change my attitude and my speech and my actions towards them. Please don't twist my words today and say we should never have consequences for our behaviors or you should never keep your love on and, and demand that people treat each other with respect. We live in a culture that doesn't respect anyone. I mean, we just we act like it's okay to trash whoever. And then we guise it under the phrase prayer request. I'm going to share this prayer request with you about this person. That's what that person's like. Please pray for them. That was really good. <laughs> Second Chronicles. What Jesus has done, <laughs> what Jesus has done is another rabbinic teaching. And I don't have time to go into it real deep, but if they Hebrews know their Bibles better than Christians. So if you're a studied Jew, maybe an expert in the law, you would know Jesus is referencing Second Chronicles 28. What happened in Second Chronicles 28 is the king of Israel fights against the kingdom of Judah. Both Jews, different people, okay? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And he's judging them for their sin. And he, but the king of Israel is mistreating the prisoners. He's taking them into captivity and making them slaves. And the prophet Obed comes along, and he declares, God is not pleased with you. God handed your brothers over to you. He told you to go and fight against them, but you've gone too far. And the king repents. So let's read it. 2 Chronicles 28, verse 8. The men of Israel took captive their fellow Israelites who were from Judah, 200,000 wives, sons and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. Okay? They're from where? Samaria. So they're Samaritans. Okay? Capital city of Israel. Samaria. Samaritans. Okay. But a prophet of the Lord named Obed was there, and he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria. He said to them, because the Lord God of your ancestors was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. Now you intend to make them, the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem, your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow Israelites for the Lord's anger rest upon you. You must not bring the prisoners here, <clears throat> they said, or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great, and the fierce anger rests on Israel. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and plunder in the presence of the officials in the assembly, the men designated by name, who were from Samaria, took them from the plunder. They clothed all who were naked. They provided clothes, sandals, food, drink, healing, balm. Those who were weak, he put on donkeys and took them to Jericho. That is not a coincidence. <laughs> That's the same story. And Jesus is pointing them back saying, you look at the Samaritans and you forget you're just as guilty before God. And your treatment of them your talk about them <laughs> has reached heaven and God is not pleased. And for all of us, the person in the ditch is somebody different. And I am not justifying anyone who has ever wronged you in your life or trying to justify it, but I promise you, you can justify it in a way that doesn't please God. And so what I hope this week is I hope that each of us get a disease. What? Yeah. The disease of splachnizomai. Splok, uh, okay, everyone say this with me. Splachnizomai. 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 That's what I want to get. Do you know what that means? That means to have compassion from the bowels. <laughs> I know. Crazy. Because some of you, this week at camp, listen, the Samaritan didn't just come to the place. The Samaritan came near. He got eyeball to eyeball with the problem. And when you get eyeball to eyeball with the problem, something happens. Compassion. Splachnizomai. 
The only time this word is used in the Bible is Jesus. That's it. He's the only one. It's the type of compassion that when Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them, he did unnatural things. He gave himself in unnatural ways. He went against his human tendencies and gave in a way that was supernatural. He made the parables, the heroes of his parables, moved with splachnizomai. Okay? The Samaritan was moved with that kind of compassion. He did something unnatural. Who does that? Who does that? For someone you don't even know. Who does it? You know, the other place is the prodigal father. The prodigal father saw his son while he was a long way off, and he was so moved with compassion that he did things that fathers do not do in that society. He ran. And he threw his arms around his nasty, full of pig slop and poop son, and he kissed him. Who does that? Somebody who has splachnizomai. Compassion. That just causes you to do stuff that other people look at you and like, how could you do that? Because I promise you, you're going to do it this week at camp. Some of you are timid, and you're going to kind of ease your way into it. But at some point, compassion will take over, and you will do things you never expected. And I will cheer you on. Don't turn it off when you come home. Don't expect the people who weren't at camp to have it. They probably won't, but you show them. You show your parents. You show your spouse. You show your sibling. You show that person at work that irritates you. You show them. I'm no longer going to pass by on the other side. I'm going to look for ways to put healing in that situation. And that's going to look different. I'm not telling anyone to rush back into an, an abusive relationship or to allow someone to actually physically harm you in any way. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's not meaning let someone punch you in the face, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, look at the situation, and how do I put hope into it? Our natural reaction would be to call it out. Our natural reaction is going to be to shame them. Our natural reaction is going to be to avoid them. Well, what should my unnatural reaction be? How do I get moved with such compassion that I get down in the ditch and I make a difference? We do a lot of training before camp to help you understand where abused and neglected kids come from, how their brain processes. And there were times that I sat through trainings That I had to leave the room. Because I just couldn't hear more. And so we see that when we see these kids and it, compassion moves them. The funny thing is, is one day, not at camp, in real life, I felt like God said, you know, that person is an iceberg, and you don't know their story. You see what's happening in their life, and you're judging based on what you've seen and what you've experienced and how they've mistreated you. But what's below the surface? I don't know. You're right. You don't know. Are you willing to pay the price? To find out. And I wish I could sit here today and say, yes, I've always done this well, so please follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. But the reality is, just like you, sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. But I thank God that I serve a God that plays a long game. And he keeps, so that's why every year at this time I s preach the same sermon from a different passage in the Bible. Because it's the heart of a father for all of his children. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Breakthrough. We watched it this week for the first time. And um, 
the, the adopted boy on his birthday, sitting alone in his room. Why didn't my mom want me? But I found myself getting irritated with the mom. Because, but I, it, my head said, you know, if your kid was in that place, what would you do? And I probably act like Mama Bear there. But her husband confronts her in, in one scene. And if I'm ruining the movie for you, apologies. And says, I know you're hurting, but I don't want you, when this is over, to regret how you acted in this moment. Stop treating people this way. Show some kindness. And he wasn't wrong. And then we get a glimpse that we don't get in real life. As the mom goes outside to pray, and we find out that mom, when she was 18, gave up a baby for adoption because she couldn't raise it. So then you try to mask that pain by adopting, and then when they're on their deathbed, that pain comes back to the surface. And what do you do? And you lash out because the pain has never been healed. She had never let herself off the hook for what she had done. Below the surface. And think of how you and I might have treated her in passing that day. And know that there's so much going on below the surface. This is a hard sermon, but I feel like I can preach it here because Restoration Church, you get it all the time and you're used to it and you are awesome people who want to wrestle with the scripture and don't want a comfortable life. And if you're here for Royal Family Kids Camp, the same is true of you. And so from this moment on, we're going to be focused on camp and doing it at camp. But I'm planting this seed in your heart today because when you come home, I know that the Holy Spirit's going to whisper in your ear these same words. And so, Father, today, I just simply say thank you. I say thank you for every person that's in this room today. God, whether they're a part of this camp, whether they're a part of Restoration Church, or whether they've just kind of wandered in today. Every person that's watching online, God, they're yours. They're your child. And I know that you see every single one of them differently than I do. And I know that sometimes my judgments feel right and I justify them. But I know sometimes they're super wrong. And they need your correction. And so, Holy Spirit, I am asking this week, whether we're at camp or whether we're not, that this compassion from within, deep within, would so begin to take root in our lives that we would find ourselves literally stepping into situations before we even have the time to think because we were so moved with compassion, we had to do something. That we no longer avoid the eyes of the homeless person, but God, that we stoop down and we touch it. That we stoop down and we go eyeball to eyeball. God, no matter what situation, no matter what person in our lives that has wronged us, no matter what they have done, God, help us to see ourselves in the correct perspective that says that that neighbor is like us. God, that we neither of us is like you. We are more like each other than we are like you. And so I pray again for grace upon every member of the staff. When we go through camp this week, God, we know we need your grace. We need your strength because we're going to be tired. We're going to be, we're going to be uh, frustrated. We're going to at times be angry. We're going to at times want to react out of our personality, out of our own upbringing, maybe even out of our own hurts. But God, we want to see with your perspective and we want to be moved with compassion this week. Not just for these campers, but even for one another. God, even for the staff of the campground. And God, for all of us today. I pray that you would infect us with this compassion. So that we find ourselves acting in very unhuman, unnatural ways. As we return from camp. As we go back to work as we live out our lives here and here on South Dakota or wherever we're from. And God, there's a third group in the room today. 
And I know. I know you see this right now. Because your word says you are close to the brokenhearted. And there are people here today who haven't fully healed from their past. And there's abuse. There's wrong. There's hurt. There's anger. There's frustration. Whether at another person or even at you. For the way things have gone down in their past. Father, thank you that you do not break the bruised reed and that you do not snuff out the smoldering wick. But you are willing to play that long game to bring full restoration, full healing to that person, to that heart. And that you will complete the work you finished in them started in them and Holy Spirit infuse them with hope today I wish you could take all of the pain away right now but I just pray give them what they need for today give them today's daily bread help them to look to you tomorrow for tomorrow's daily bread and just put the hope in them that you see them right where they are. And it's okay that reactions are messy and that you're playing a long game. Love on your kids today, Lord. So Holy Spirit, if my words have condemned any, erase them from minds. Erase them from hearts. Bring true conviction to each and every one of our hearts where it's needed. And forgive me for my wrong. Father, we love you. Ultimately, because you first loved us. Help us as we leave this room to be so full of that love that we express it in everything we do and say in this week ahead. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for putting up with a few extra minutes. I say that every week. Some days I'll actually mean it. <laughs> you guys are my heroes, people of Restoration Church, people of Royal Family Kids Camp. Remember, camper and staff people, we are leaving today at 2 o'clock from James